0: hello i'm claire from wild ginger running the trail and ultra running youtube channel and this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete coach or other running expert the link to the original film on youtube is in the show notes check out my instagram and youtube channel for more training advice inspiration and gear reviews everything is wild ginger running and my blog is wildgingerunning.co.uk Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more.
1: Good evening evening. and welcome to Wild Ginger Running with the Scotney takeover still happening. (laughs) How are we doing Jen? I'm fine. Enjoying
2: some snowy running at the moment.
1: Yeah, there's a bit kind of chilly spell in the UK at the moment, and we've, especially in the Peak District, we have a lot of snow, don't we, which is making running quite entertaining. Anyway, on to more important things. Who's our guest this evening?
2: We've got Lizzie Hawker, which I'm so excited about. I don't know what achievement to put
1: top of the billing
2: for you, Lizzie, because you seem to have won everything and done anything. everything, got world, former world record holder, world champion at 100k, five times winner of UTMB. I don't know, what, what is your biggest achievement that you want to, that you would put as your headline?
3: <laughs> um, probably none of those, maybe they get <laughs> yeah. exploring the Himalayas now.
2: <laughs> so running across the
3: Himalayas, <laughs> know,
2: running from Everest Base Camp to Kathmandu and getting the record. I mean, yeah, you've done so much, well done. And thank you for taking the time to speak to us.
3: Thanks a lot for having me with you tonight. <laughs> Good to be here and where, and where in the strange, strange online world that we have at the moment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just a, a warning for all of those who are joining us live. Um, we might have some technical glitches. So if we lose Lizzie, we might kind of drop out a little bit and then kind of fill in, do a bit of improv maybe, I don't know, um, <laughs> and bring Lizzie back in. But whereabouts are you at the moment?
3: I'm actually in Grechen. Which is a small village at 1600 meters um, altitude in Switzerland, which is where we start and finish the Ultra to Monte Rosa. So I came back here at the begin, beginning of the summer. Um, we managed to have our small Berglauf and some training camps last summer and then didn't manage to move away. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still here and have watched the seasons turn into autumn and now a very wintry winter. So, yeah.
1: So and how has lockdown kind of been in, in Switzerland has it been very kind of um, strict or has it been a bit more relaxed
3: no a little bit more relaxed and being in a mountain village um, you know it can still go running or ski touring um, so can still get out on the trails and there's not many people um, really living here so like when I go to the co-op to buy groceries there's there's never a queue to go inside kind of thing, so we're we're really quite lucky up here.
1: excellent. And if you weren't in Switzerland at the moment, where would you like to be or where should, would you
3: should you really be? Sorry, it just froze for a minute. i'd I'd be back in the pool so um, back in the pool.
1: And
3: we're about Singapore. Maybe I can still get Sorry, yeah, it's it all right. Happened. A bit of going there. But, but we're about yeah, Would
1: you um, normally be?
3: Well, me, in Kathmandu, but then going out to the mountains from there. But but based in Kathmandu.
1: It, it, is that just for yeah. running adventures or for exploring? Um,
3: but, running adventures i help richard with mustang and manaslu races and a few other small ones and um also because i'm still trying to finesse my ideal great himalaya trail route so when i get the opportunity to go out to kind of recce different sections of that that i do so yeah it's a good good place to be
1: and and i mean i, I... I know a little bit about your past, Lizzie, and I, I mean, reading some of your stories and, and knowing how you used to train for ultramarathons, it probably wasn't a bit like a lockdown situation for you, wasn't it? Because when you first started doing ultramarathons, you, you weren't based in the UK. And in fact, I don't think you were based on land, were you?
3: Um, <laughs> no, I, w- I was actually based in the UK then. In fact, when oh, I was, was probably running my best in the mountains i was living in cambridge and training on the towpath so, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think the mountains were just kind of in me because obviously there i didn't have much little training um um yeah so i no i was actually working as a scientist um or hang on no i was just finishing up my phd and then i got a job at the british antarctic survey so um kind of as i was Entering the world of um, racing and competition, um, I was still doing scientific work and research cruises down in the Antarctic as well.
1: Uh, and, and, so yeah,
3: two-month two chunks at sea.
1: Yeah, but you used to train when you were at sea, didn't
3: you as well? Um, yes. <laughs> one cruise where one of my colleagues and I decided to buy the cheapest. Treadmill that you could get from Argos for like sixty <laughs> quid or something, and took it down with this. And but we had we had to. Um, it was just a portable thing, and had to kind of nail it to the deck when we were going to use it. Because of course, <laughs> the next day, yeah. um, so I'd, I don't think it was really very effective. It's, um, it's a try. And then uh, I remember taking a skipping rope as well and, and skipping out on the deck with all the like machinery that we were taking down to the Antarctic Peninsula <laughs> kind of stuck around. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I tried, but um, probably didn't train, train very effectively then. I <laughs> used you do to that? enjoy getting back to the Falklands and going for a long tramp on the hills there.
1: And did you do laps around the boat? Or is that a, a kind of... I found a story I've heard. Is Hawk a Libby Hawker myth. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah,
3: a story you've heard, Because it's a working ship, so they're, they're putting instruments over the side all hours, <laughs> like 24 hours a day. Um, and the, the one thing that you could do would be to do laps of the Monkey Island, which is this small bit right at the top of the ship that's <laughs> open, but it's, it's right above the... Um, where the officers are, 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 are driving the ship. So, if you started stomping around up there, that that soon get quite. Especially for a hundred k. Hundred k, yeah. But you like know. going
2: back to you saying like you were finishing your PhD in Cambridge when you started ultra running, but your start was rocking up to UTMB with some borrowed kit and. On, I think in your book, which is um, called Runner, you just talk about wanting to complete that before the cutoff. So it sounded like you didn't have any expectation that you were suddenly going to be up in the at the top of the field. But like, how did you go from <laughs> being somebody growing up in the UK to just be just having this amazing running ability in the mountains?
3: Um. I think the endurance was always there and I fell in love with the mountains when I was a child so like at the age of six and then I
1: guess
3: because I was living back in the UK and obviously fairly flat around London um it, I, running just became a way of being outside um, but it really wasn't until my late 20s that I ever thought about racing, so I had no idea that there was like an ability there kind of thing, I just had this love of the mountains and this love of running. And so, yeah, when I I turned up to UTMB, in those days you didn't have to have any qualifying races or anything like that, and I signed up in March, you know, it it wasn't like today's world. And so literally I was standing on the start line and I had, because I didn't have anything to gauge it by, I had no idea at that point if I'd, you know, make the cutoffs and actually get back to Chamonix on my own two feet or if they'd stopped me somewhere. So my goal was just to keep going until they told me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily that was actually on the finish line. And, and,
1: was... and, and how how big was the... Because what year are we is that is that 2000 it was
3: 2005 so it was the third edition and i've seemed to have somewhere in my memory that it was about two and a half thousand people it, it was only the utmb race then there weren't mm-hmm. any others um but i think it was around about two and a half thousand people
1: so it's still a fairly big race and i mean it's still great. oh yeah in. no,
3: for sure and i remember looking back afterwards um I can't remember where, whether it was when I got to Lausche or even beyond beyond that. I was because I'd started, you know, right in the mass of people, and um, you know, it's when you're right in in the crowds, then people are moving slowly at the beginning, and it it takes a long, long time to thin out. So I was still like eight hundredth or something. Um, I don't know if that was Lausche or um, the next one. We didn't we didn't go yeah anyway early on in the race I was I was right way down um and then I think finished 23rd overall so it was kind of strange <laughs>
2: <laughs> and when you realize that you were first woman in that race and I think you just talked about, well, I'll just try and stay first woman till the top of the next hill or the next checkpoint. But I mean, was there, a, it sounded like you did find some competitive nature and was that something that you'd had before in other sports when you were growing up or was that something quite new for you at that point?
3: Um, I, I guess I'd always just wanted to do the best that I could. In whatever it was that I was doing, um, I hadn't really got much race experience by that point. So, um, yeah, I, I was just just didn't have any race experience <laughs> <laughs> I had to approach a race or um, or what to do. So, yeah, it, it was the strangest point was leaving. Um, well, arriving in Cormier kind of in time for breakfast, as I remember. Um, it's quite, quite a civilized time, and um, it was it was in the massive sports hall, and they were showing me all all kinds of things like did I want to go and get massage or do this or that, and it was like no, no I just want to get some food and get out of here. And as I was leaving, and they they took my time to check my um, type my chip again, um, they said, "Oh, you're the second woman," and that was that was the complete surprise because I hadn't realized. You know where any, anybody else was during the night, um, and then I, I passed the first woman and her husband um, at Arnouva, so the last checkpoint before you cross into Switzerland, and the borders, of course, at the top of the the Grand Col de Ferry. So I, I thought let's let's see if I can just make it up to the to the col before they catch me, um, and I did, but they didn't catch me and so then I thought I'll oh, see if I can get just get to the next checkpoint and mm-hmm. the next one and it just went on like that through the race and um, in the end I think they were 20 minutes or so behind me
1: For and so when you finished that race was that then, you know, was there the motivation to go and do more races? Is you like thinking, oh actually I'm quite good at this, I'm going to stay up there it's always yeah, like oh, actually, I actually want to finish my studies
3: It, it kind of opened a door into That race like, I kind sort of realised that it was something I should investigate a little bit more mm-hmm. and so yeah I think things snowballed <laughs> 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 that's
1: kind of putting it lightly isn't it snowballing <laughs> it's kind of like going on to win UTMB five times <laughs>
3: it's quite, it's, quite yeah, a big... it's, just, it's just what i did though <laughs> um yeah yeah run, uh, uh, running long run distances in the mountains just became normal
2: they weren't all in the mountains though i think <laughs> like it's not seem seem to be absolutely. so good at everything
1: <laughs> yeah because you, you you dabbled at 100k um,
2: dabbled by me being, being yeah. world champion being world,
1: being world champion <laughs> Um, twenty-four hour, twenty-four hour world record. <laughs> Spartathlon, as well. yeah, first like kind of, ladies of podium at Spartathlon as well. Is, is there yeah, any of
3: those? <laughs> 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 they, they didn't quite know what to make of that.
1: Brilliant, excellent. I, I mean, i thought about those results. I mean, um, Arlene just asked quite an interesting, interesting question. Can kind of, we touch on this a little bit before we kind of? Came on air about you know how ultra running has kind of exploded in the last few years, uh, and uh, Arlene's asked what what do you think about the rise in popularity of ultra running in recent years?
3: Um, what do I think? I think it's great. I mean, more more people are running, and more people are on trails, and more people are enjoying challenging themselves outside. So yeah it's it's good and it it's grown um really throughout the world um and i guess a trail or mountain running as a sport i mean when when i was starting you, you you would never have found it in the mainstream media but um now of course it's it's i mean not covered as in other sports are but but you you find um articles and stuff come out so um it's it's really interesting to to see how it's grown in all aspects really but but the main thing is just that people are out enjoying the trails and the mountains
1: brilliant yeah and and kit has just advanced so much as well hasn't it you know with the growth in the sport
2: yeah (laughs) liz's kit is probably she might own
1: her own now i don't
2: know (laughs) did somebody just suggest that oh you might need some trail shoes before you run in the mountains for utmb
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm sure. Actually, the, the kit was pretty, pretty good then, but I just didn't know about it because when I turned up to register in Germany, there were all these people looking like they knew what they were doing, with, you know, looking like professionals. <laughs> and I had no clue. So excellent. Yeah, it's changed a lot.
2: We've got a question actually about advice for a newbie. I, Chloe has said that. Um, well, first of all, wow, what an amazing guest. Um, uh, but then she's asked, what race day advice do you have for a newbie to UTMB? Chloe's doing um, CCC.
3: As an as advice for the race day itself? I
2: think, yeah. And um... then she also has asked afterwards for some top training tips as well.
1: <laughs> so how, long, how long have we got here? <laughs> <laughs>
3: training tips i think i think the main thing i'd say is just getting used to time on your feet so even if it's not running necessarily long distances but being used to being on your feet so whether that's hiking or mountaineering as well that that kind of all counts um so it's it's really being used to having long days out i think um and also of course um because it's the alps, the, the ascents and descents are long. So it's it's different if you're training, you know, a couple of hundred meters up and down. Um, you've, you've kind of got to find a way to adapt your muscles to the to the long ascents and descents. And um, for the race day itself, I'd say really, yeah, just try to take it moment by moment. Um, because if you start, stand on the start line Thinking of the finish, um, you know it's it's pretty overwhelming. Break it down into sections. Um, you know, then you get through one section, you get through the next, and you actually realize that it is doable. Um, and the other thing is just knowing that everything passes. So, you know, you might have a bad patch, but just give yourself the time to get through it. Um, you might have pain or hunger or. You know cold or whatever but but just give yourself the chance to go through it um and get to the other side and mm-hmm. um allow it to come good again ra- rather than kind of giving up the, the, the first instance so so really just staying in the moment and knowing that everything does pass and, and giving yourself um the time to to get through it and really? enjoy it because after all, that's, <laughs> that's kind of why you're there
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you, you talked about when you first got into like, UTMB, you using in Cambridge, finishing your studies, and then you kind of come around. What, what was was your training? Kind of did it always change during the year to kind of what event you were leading up to, or yeah? You know, did did you have a coach? What helped you along the way? And one of the kind of. Put-
3: I- weren't meant, I can't really remember now, but I don't think there were so many races through the winter. So yeah. wintertime, I'd more or less follow like the general pattern of marathon training, I guess. Um, except that I never, never seriously did intervals and things like that, except for very short, short spells of time. Um, but, but, you know, that kind of general pattern pattern to the week i guess and then in the summer um after that first UTMB, the, the next summer i i did go out quite a for quite a few mountain races um and then a few years after that actually you know spent the summer in in the alps so then when i was just because i i loved it and it was nice and um so I'd, I actually probably raced an awful lot more than I should have done. So then the racing itself became the training during the summertime and you know, maybe maybe a little bit less during the week. So um it it did definitely change during the year and I, I guess I enjoyed the, the variety between, you know, more structured periods of training and then um, a bit more free form when I was when I was racing a lot.
1: And, yeah. and did you ever ever have a coach during that time, or were you kind of self coached?
3: Sarah Rowell helped me for a while um, until I left the UK, um, but never really. Um, yeah, she she gave me advice during that that period before I left the UK, but after that, I never had any any. Um, yeah, I, I was just going by feel more than anything
1: else Uh, and one of the buzz things what's kind of battered about a lot at the moment in kind of training and coaching is strength and conditioning so were you you doing much or were you just using the mountains as a way of strengthening it running you know running specifically on that terrain
3: yeah and I guess it was also kind of a lifestyle choice as well because I've never had had a car so to get from A to B I'm either walking or running or cycling or something like that um, you know and carrying things from here to there so at, at that stage rather than any specific strength training um, yeah it was really more of a lifestyle of endurance kind of thing rather than um, anything specific
1: Brilliant and then so from doing UTMB you, you suddenly pop up um, doing a little run in Nepal with my my former mountain marathon partner, Spike. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, Mike and Mike Cartel. Yeah. yeah, Mike Cartel. We, we were chatting to Kim uh, the other week about the, the Lakes 24 Hour Record, which he took off Mark, and Mark used to hold that. H- so, how, how did you so. end up um, kind of either in Nepal or coming up with a plan? To ru- so, it was running from Everest Base Camp down to Kathmandu, wasn't it?
3: Yeah well it was it was mark that really came up with the idea I, I think it was a big birthday for him and he wanted to celebrate in some way and so um the plan was to climb amadablam um which is a 6800 it's terrible um Helen and um anyway they, they had had the record at that point for running from Everest Base Camp back to Kathmandu and so Sorry, we, you just broke
1: yeah. up there a little bit Lizzie who, who had the original record just so I'll listen
3: uh, now I'm gonna have to look it up um Helen and um
1: was it Helen Dan mantis yes and I can't
3: remember the other it's just gone <laughs> Anyway, but they had the record, and so you know Mark knew them well, and yeah. um, and so I, I guess that was where the idea came from to actually try running from Everest Camp to Kathmandu, and where the idea came for Mark to suggest I joined them. I can't <laughs> I can't actually remember now, um, and it all seemed to happen quite quickly um so yeah anyway we we found ourselves in in Kathmandu and went up to the Khumbu more or less for a month I guess um we climbed on island peak first and then Amadablam and then the rest of the group left and we hiked up to every space camp and, and started
1: well and, and it was a phenomenal because it's what it's 200 well, 199 miles, <laughs> I almost kind of say it
3: was 200 um, miles, isn't it? Is that... yeah. I kind of have 320k in my head. Um, but it depends exactly what shortcuts you take and how many times you get lost because in the pool, nothing stays the same. So <laughs> if, I, I did it three times in the end, and every time there's slightly different route in different places.
1: So, um, yeah, uh, and was that unsupported, or did you have support? crews out there helping you like we kind of talk a lot about races and people doing fkts at the moment
3: um kind of half and half obviously when i did it with mark and spike there were the three of us running together Uh, Um, and then when we were um come to so from that point there was a vehicle following and like the third time that i did it um i was on my own completely from aerospace camp back to Jiri and then Richard and Opendra a Nepali friend came to meet me there and followed me along the road back to Kathmandu so it was kind of, kind of half and half and also you can't really see, yeah you know there's there's lodges along the aerospace camp to Jiri trail so um, I wasn't carrying all my food because I would stop and get to your chapati yeah, and what were people so, thinking uh, as
2: you ran past <laughs>
1: I've, got, I've got this lovely photo from you which is on your website of you with a head torch on and a white long sleeve top looking very sparkly with a <laughs> load of food in front made out in front of you
3: <laughs> oh yeah that's that, that's when rich came to meet me at the um, but but the, you try to run at night because you should be running at night um you know pe- people are scared of the animals and, and things like that so the hardest the hardest point is always um if you stop somewhere just as it's getting dark or um uh, after dark and then and they're trying really try and persuade you to stay there it's like <laughs> why why do you need to go you, you can sleep and go in the morning kind of thing so um try, trying to to you know put forward the idea that you're you're really in a hurry is um it's difficult sometimes.
1: Excellent. So, so that that first time you went out with Mark and Spike, was that your first time you went to Nepal, or had you been before?
3: Yeah, no, it was my first time to Nepal. Two years earlier, I'd done a ski expedition in, in India, um, mm-hmm. but that was my first time to Nepal. And then after that, I um, just started going back more often and more often.
1: Yeah, cuz if you can you seem like you spend a lot more time now in, in Nepal during the year yeah. and can I help him Richard and and you've done another little kind of short run in Nepal as well. Um,
2: <laughs> you just thought you you haven't got a car um, and you need to have a look at Nepal so why not run across it.
3: It was, it was the best, best way to to see most of the country, yeah. <laughs> so how long did that take you in total? Um, the first time forty two days, um, partly because of a broken bridge and um partly because of a, an episode of snow blindness. So I was I I was in a Yak herder's tent for two nights in the day. Um and then the second time uh, I did it in thirty five days. More or less the same route. But um I I was trying to make kind of an independent route so taking as high a route as possible but um, avoiding the glaciated sections simply so that somebody could do it alone Um, and like even between 2016 and 17 the roads in Nepal are encroaching further and further north from the south now so some of the detours that I had to make weren't very satisfying kind of thing so now i'm exploring kind of a medium route i guess which is which is really a really alpine route um which would probably take longer than the original high route um but yeah it would be a- absolutely amazing journey to put together in one go so um i'm still exploring sections of that
1: i, I, I mean you slightly slightly brushed over over the snow blindness i remember hearing you speak in Buxton and you were kind of sharing the, the the adventures of that. And, but it was a quite, it was a serious incident though wasn't it? You, you, I mean, you was on your own and, and you were quite high up as well. Yeah. yeah, it?
3: It was, yeah fa- fairly remote. So, um, this was in a section between Kanchenjunga and the Makulu Baron, um, national park. And so I, I just crossed a 5,000 meter pass. Um, and there was snow, and I was, I was stupid, but I was, there was quite a lot of snow and I was breaking trail and I just kind of neglected to think about my eyes. Um, and descending the other side of that pass is you, you reach a, a small village called Tudam, um, which is a traditionally Tibetan village. So there's, there's kind of only four ways out of the village, back over the pass that I came from, um, the pass to Tibet where they go shopping, basically. Um, another 5,000-meter pass to the south that goes directly to Nung, um, which also would have been snow-bound. Or the jungle trail to Tang, and then, then you're on, on more major trails after that. Um, and that... Boar's Jungle Forest was where I got lost in 2011 and was out of communication for three nights. So I was really looking forward to that section very much. Um, and anyway, so, so I'd crossed the pass <laughs> and before I reached the village, about an hour above, I, I passed through this kind of yak herders camp. And it was it was nearly getting dark and they had soup um, tukpa ready. and You know, they they kind of offered me to really kind of encouraged me to stay there rather than continuing in the dark, and because yeah. there was there was food and, and somewhere to lie down. I thought, okay, I'll I'll stop here and carry on in the morning. But anyway, in, in the middle of that first night, I woke up and it was agony, and I guess that was the worst point in the whole journey. Um, any anyway, they they were great because they they. Um, could see that I was hurting, and that I just needed to, to rest, and, and they looked after me and gave me tea. Um, but of course, being inside a yak herders tent, where the fire is kind of juniper and, and brushwood, um, so the smoke isn't ideal for <laughs> or kind of irritates sunburned eyes even, even more. Um, so i had a day where but basically i couldn't i couldn't even see to get out of the tent to go for a pee um and then spend the second night there and then the next day just took the whole day uh, to walk slowly down to the village um and then th- thankfully it, it kind of passed but yes i w- i wasn't in the best place to make a quick exit from kind of thing so um, i just had to wait out and hope that I would recover enough to to see my way out. I, I, I mean, we're
1: able to sit here and kind of laugh about it and kind of kind of yeah reflect on it. But have you ever been in a situation? So I know you you, met, you mentioned previously when you did the re you, you, I remember mean, I mean, you said you got lost for like three days and there's no no communication. Have you have you ever been in a situation in the mountains or on a trail and thinking, actually, I've gone to a point here. This 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 is almost becoming too dangerous now or are you always in that kind of moment and kind of like, Oh, how can I get, how can I get at this? How can I kind of solve this problem?
3: Well, thank thankfully so far, I haven't crossed that boundary because if I had, I probably would have died and <laughs> I'm <laughs> <laughs> talking to you not. Um, I mean, they've been, I'm, I'm sure I've been a lot closer to the edge than I've realized at times. Um, in 2000, 2018, I guess um, I'd gone into the Macklu area um, for, for a bit of exploration, and was walking out down the Barren River Valley Jungle Trail, um, which basically hadn't hadn't been used all season, I'm mm. I'm pretty sure. Um, and I just slipped at one point and actually broke my ankle, and it took me a day and a half. To walk out um, to the roadhead, and I'd seen a bear, and I knew that there were big animals around. So pr- probably that night, after I'd broken my ankle, knowing that I couldn't move with any kind of, I could, could barely move, let alone move with any speed, um, and I could just hear the big animals close by. Um, And I I was, I was just thinking, if I make it through to morning, then then everything's good, kind of. (laughs) Um, And that was probably the worst night I guess I've had in the mountains.
1: Wow, that is yeah, pretty extreme. Uh, uh, um, Mave Riley, who is also kind of said she loved your book. um, She's asking about the kind of Nepalese um, kind of female runners because there are some amazing kind of. Do do you get chance to run with? many of the Nepalese runners while you're out there yeah
3: well know mirror Rai um really well and on all of the manaslu and mustang races we take local nepali runners as well um of course i'm not racing i'm usually marking the route <laughs> um but get get to spend time with the girls and then Mira's kind of got a program now where she's trying to train uh, yeah, about six girls each year, um, and there's also a growing running community just in Kathmandu now, um, and and within Nepal itself. So it's it's really nice to yeah spend time with, with them, with the girls. And do you Not think only, only the girls?
1: Yeah, some of the guys. Well, do you think there's the, the funding though to get into more international races in Europe or America? around the world
3: um well that's that's the problem is is finding the money to Mm. support them to 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 come abroad um you know to get international race experience and and experience different races um so that that's an ever ongoing problem but there's huge huge potential um of people
1: that can be given an an opportunity. Yeah, kind of tying in what we said earlier about how ultra running is growing. There is more more money coming into the sport, isn't there? And more lucrative sponsorship deals. So, um, if that For money sure. could be passed on to those Nepalese runners to get them and just yeah, it'd be really exciting to see some of them like at UTMB or or even well, ultramarathon mm-hmm. Monterosa So um, <laughs> <laughs> the reason we've, we've had
3: a- We've had a few in the stage race, so um Mahesh, and Birkash, and some of the girls as well. Um, but so far, nobody in in the the long race. Brilliant. Yeah, because
1: cause now you're you're kind of as you're easing back on some of the racing, you, you're now kind of swapping hats and have put on more of a race organizer hat. Um, and I think I understand. When you came back from Nepal, you you were in kind of Switzerland and were doing lots of runs around uh, the Monterosa route. Is that right? And kind of, did you have the idea, the thought, of this could make a great race?
3: Yeah, it it kind of came about. Um, I guess when I used to be training for the UTMB, I'd obviously not the first year, but in in the later <laughs> later. Of it, um, I used to go a couple of times and do the whole route into back-to-back 12-hour days and if, if I could do that then I knew that I was um, kind of coming towards shape sort of thing
1: oh, oh, the whole then, UTMB route the whole UTMB route
3: yeah, you, you used to do it 2 back-to-back
1: days <laughs> it took me four um, days <laughs> <laughs>
3: and,
2: um, maybe that's why I didn't finish it I so haven't won it.
3: Yeah, was one. I not want one. it. Busier and and people knew me, and um, I just wanted something different. And so, it was the Zermatt area that I'd known since a child. And then I realised I, I can't remember how I first discovered that there's this hundred mile long distance footpath around Rosa mm. in a sim- similar mm. way to to um, the Tour, Tour Mont Blanc. And so I tried that into what turned out to be two much longer than 12 hour days, which <laughs> was really, actually much tougher. Um, so, anyway, I, I got to know the route really well, and it's wilder, um, it's, it's more of a challenge, and I think it's a much more beautiful, um, a huge amount of variety. And, um, you know, I was was thinking then, so if this was a race, this is what I'd be coming to do rather than going to race UTMB. So that's kind of where the seed of the idea came from. And then um, in Nepal with Richard, sort of hours talking about it. And then eventually we decided to stop talking about it and try to make it happen. So that's where it all started. really.
1: And what was the first year the race was held?
3: The first year was 2015, and in the beginning, it was actually um, from Chavinia back to Grechen, so kind of two-thirds of the of the route, uh, because we couldn't get permission to pass through Zermatt. And then 2017 was the first year that we could make the full loop. So now we have the full 170k. We also have 100k from Gresne, um Back to Grechen, so it's kind of crossing three of the major coals, and then we also have the full full route over a four day um, stage race, yeah, really? which, is, which is nice because some people, you know, might never want to run through the night and um, get to experience the route in daylight and, um, and then kind of the camaraderie in the evenings and enjoy the delights of. Pizza
2: and ice cream. and that would race. Right, that's kind of Pass on the hallucinations <laughs> and
1: the. Um, <laughs> running through the night experience. Make uh, it
2: sound very civilized. That option.
1: <laughs> I quite like that option actually, especially the pizza is. option. I think that's uh, this is why I like it's multi-stage all, racing. It's also pretty tough to, to run hard for four days. And... Yeah, and it's it's uh so a hill- but, um, it's more elevation than UTMB, isn't it? <laughs> you just say it's more hilly. <laughs> <laughs> I did say more hilly. I did. It's
2: got some hills in it's it. Got, it's got one or two hills. It's a
1: bit. It's a bit. It's a bit hillier than the Peak District. It's definitely hillier than Cambridge. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, so it's it's over um, over eleven thousand um, meters of elevation, and. Estimate kind of twenty to thirty percent harder than UTMB. The trails are um, less flat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, UTMB.
2: I mean, it's just too flat, isn't
3: it? It's like like running in Norfolk.
1: (laughs) UTMB. It's
2: like on the towpath.
3: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's kind of mountain, mountain trails for the most part.
1: And and Um, so, for entry, do you stipulate that you have to have done a mountainous event, or kind of show your experience
3: for doing the race? Yeah, I mean, it's not for for the hundred mile race. It's not an entry level hundred mile race. Um, But at the same time, we didn't want to stipulate you have to have this many points, because of course, people collect good points. Um, races that wouldn't necessarily give you the right experience for this and also take into account mountaineering experience and things like that because it's it's really i'm more concerned with um people being able to look after themselves on that terrain if um if the weather's bad um you know rather than speed and running ability kind of thing so it's it's really from a um just a safety angle so um, we have a pre-registration and go through the, each registration individually. But it, it, it kind of means that, you know, people don't necessarily have to have done this race or that race or that race to, to qualify. Um, we, we take a, an overview of people's experience.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I've got a, we we'll just post a picture up of Ruth Croft, fellow Scott athlete, um, from the website. And um, on quite, is that quite an exposed part of the course? I mean, there's a, a beautiful mountain in the background. There's chains just to her left. Uh, okay,
3: there's on one tomorrow then, which is the highest pass. Well, it looks really exposed. Um, on the Italian side, um, there's a cable below um, because people go up the... So you get people going for a weekend day out in their slippers kind of thing. Um but they've they've kind of put steps up the other side of those rocks. Um on on the Swiss side it it's it's kind of slabs. Um so it's yeah, it's not a beginner's hike kind of thing. Um but it it, it there's no really exposed parts or um of course things can happen everywhere but um but yeah it it looks more impressive than it is <laughs>
2: it looks really nice weather on the, this photo the, as well <laughs> false advertising
3: <laughs> yeah I, I think that was, she was starting in the stage race so it would have been just after after you know in the in the early morning light mm. and it's it's really beautiful
1: Yeah, because the the previous... Obviously, the the race didn't... Did the race happen last year with COVID restrictions or did you have to
3: postpone it? No, we we had to cancel the main races and we were lucky that we could go ahead just with our Berglauf, which is a 23k race that we have on the Saturday of that week here in Grechen, um, which was kind of a strange... um, You know, because we had all the distance protocols and um, testing before the runners could could register etc but we were blessed with a beautiful day and uh, people um, in the end it was people mainly from Switzerland um, uh, lots of different nationalities but people living in this, within Switzerland and people were just really happy to, to run and have a day out so um, it was it was nice just to be able to make that happen
2: and it sounds just such a lovely idea that you've created this race that you wanted to run, and it's from somewhere that you went as a child on family holidays. But I can also imagine there's another side to race organization, which is a, just a complete headache with, um, insurance, with permissions and things like that. So how have you found the organizing of such a big race?
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's just, we have, we have a great band of volunteers for the race. Um, but during the year, it's it's just Richard and me working on it. So um, we have to cover everything. So um, you know, we ha- we have things that we prefer doing than others. So you know, maybe the marketing <laughs> drops off when we should really be concentrating on that and things like that. But um, it's it's a really interesting process simply because because we have to learn the whole the whole of the race um, and yeah it's 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 satisfying in the end it, it can be hard work at times during the year um especially working so hard when there's not you know it only comes together and in, in the one event at the end of the year but there, there's a so much that goes into it all year round um but yeah when, when we see people on the start line and um see that they've enjoyed their experience or at least had an experience um it's that that's really great
1: yeah and the start line looks great i've just posted put a picture of it and you got the the prayer flags across and kind of
3: wooden gantry have a little Nepali influence um to the race and the the gantry was kind of made by a, a local woodsman here so it's trees from the forest here so um yeah there's, there's lots of different touches to it, I guess.
1: Brilliant. Excellent. But, and is there lots of checkpoints along the route? Have you kind of... You know, is there, like, a, a taste of Lizzie Hawker in, in the race? So, like, checkpoints are just a cheese sandwich <laughs> um, or a piece of bread or...
3: No, we've tried to do better than, than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I think... Um, yeah the the food is is generally pretty pretty good. Um, um in 2019 we were lucky to have homemade banana cake and flapjacks at some of the checkpoints and um, some things made on the Italian side so it's not all just kind of normal food so yeah
1: So so if somebody's interested or in what- you yeah, know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a good time to have you on. So some people have trying to maybe get their UT, UTMB entry and have not been successful and, and maybe not heard of UTMR. Um, and it's now hearing about this. How If somebody was interested in maybe doing this, how easy is it to go? You said you kind of retinal wrecked it because you were getting fed up of, of being recognised on the UTMB trail oh, how terrible is that how how easy is it to go and wreck it I think I saw like because you, you had Damien Hall um, and with the Beth Pascal do it but I know Damien oh, and there, so. and Nikki Sphinx but they went yeah, out and it wrecked didn't. it
3: yeah so no it's, it's totally possible to spend three or four days wrecking it um, we do it know how many days maybe they took three days over it um i also have a couple of training camps during the summer doing it in four days so exactly as the stage race is broken down um but of course not going at race pace so they tend to be quite long days um and otherwise Mm -hmm. it's um what do I say? It's it's hard just to wreck you sections of it unless you're oh. already in one of the villages. Um, simply because it's such a long way round between the logistics of the race. It's it's a lot more complicated than UTMB because there's no handy tunnel through the mountain. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a thousand mile it's a thousand mile driving journey to, to, to support the hundred mile running race basically wow. it's, it's, a, it's a long drive so it's it's actually much easier to go the whole way on foot and, <laughs>
2: which I think and, is and
3: just and, sums up <laughs> you really like
1: <laughs> you knew you a thousand miles when I did UTMB because I forgot to put my vouchers for the checkpoint in for I had yeah. to go
2: through the tunnel you... twice to get <laughs> um so you're saying that if if we want to recce any of it we might as well and go and do the whole thing because that's the easiest thing to do
3: yeah and, and <laughs> unless you were spending a few days in zermatt or Saspe or grechen or one of the villages on the italian side and then then kind of do the sections from there um but um yeah if, if you've got a car it's easier but, but public transport's <laughs> challenging to, to get around the whole route and, and
1: the camps it, 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 And the camps you do in the summer, are they just kind of recceing the route? Are they just going around or is there some kind of any coaching input or training input for athletes who are maybe coming along to the race or is it just purely let's go and recce? It really,
3: really, really depends on the people coming. I take the camps, um, so kind of lead around the whole route. And yeah, there's also time to look at a bit of technique or, you know, answer questions and things like that, but it really just depends on who's actually there, who's who's in the group and what they want to get out of it. they're generally a lot of fun.
1: Brilliant. And the details for the camps are on the, the race website as well.
3: What's on, yeah, on the race website, yeah.
1: Excellent. And then, and how how are entries looking so far for this year, are they?
3: Um, well, pretty good, given the circumstances, I was, I was kind of surprised, um, and yeah, we would just have to watch and see how the situation de- develops, Ob- obvi- obviously there's going to be travel restrictions still in place um, for countries further away, but we're hoping that within Europe at least, you know, restrictions ease and um, that things will be, be okay. For September, even even if we've got you know re- restrictions and um, precautions in place, um, but for sure, people coming from Australia, etc., um, are unlikely to get here for this year. So, really looking at a European runner base this year.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, but
3: it's, it's nice to have something to look forward to if it if it works out. Y-
1: yeah. Yeah, it's good to have kind of uh, some hope that races, come the spring or summer, might be happening and we can get away and do some do some races. As you say, it all just depends on different government guidelines, doesn't it, and travel restrictions and. I've got a question
2: about races, Lizzie. I wondered if there was any races around the world that you haven't done but would like to do.
3: Um. That's a good question. There, there, probably are. I, I just haven't really given much thought in the last year or two to racing myself. I, I guess it's because I'm so focused on exploring in in Nepal. So if I've got time, that's that's where I want to be, um, rather than travelling for races. So, but let's see.
2: Well, I was going to ask where your favourite place to mm. run was, but I think I know the answer to that. <laughs> <It's> Cambridge. <laughs> Is it's it? Cambridge. <laughs> yes, <So> Telegraph at
1: Cambridge. Awesome <laughs> or, 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 or Argos treadmill.
2: So it sounds like you're exploring, um, yeah, having another adventure across Nepal. Are there any plans for when that might be, or is it just waiting to no, see when it feels right? It's, it's,
3: it's, yeah, and it's just really because I, I really want to work out this this route that i've got in mind but um it it depends on well certain times of year are are the best time to go and explore because um if if there's if you're up really high and there's snow down and there's cloud down then it's impossible to find the way um you're kind of talking about you know going out not seeing anybody else for six days sort of exploring so um in places that people don't generally go into so the trails are pretty non-existent um so the, there's kind of a small window of, of time when it's possible to actually explore those parts so it's it's going to take me a few years I think to get a route I'm happy with and then yeah who knows maybe I'll try it in one go uh,
2: we've got a question from um, mava Riley asking and will it be a book <laughs>
3: Well, I've I have a contract now to write a book about my first great Himalaya journey, um, and kind of struggling with it at the moment. So, um, hope hopefully I'll I'll get that story down, and then yeah, we'll, we'll see if the future. But
2: <laughs>
3: so the book's taking a lot
2: longer than the actual running did. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> which is
3: crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It,
1: it, it, yeah, but running in sometimes is easier isn't it than trying to <laughs> <laughs>
2: i just had another question about, i had another question about when you are running in nepal and doing these runs like where um, are you staying and sleeping are you staying in using local facilities when you're going through are you completely self-sufficient um that's a good
3: good, good question the first two well the the two complete GHTs that I did, I was mostly staying in villages. Um, So if I was on a major trekking trail, that would be in a lodge, but that was actually a few nights out out of the total. Um, And usually it would be a village where foreigners don't usually pass through. And I'd just ask. The the thing in Nepal that's so humbling is um, because people are used to, to traveling on foot, because um, usually they have to walk for a few days to get to the road head to get a bus to Kathmandu or, or to go to the local market or something like that so they're used to pe- they're used to people traveling on foot and needing hosp- you know needing somewhere to sleep um, whereas for us um, that's kind of become a, an alien concept so you know if, if somebody knocked up at your door and expect to be given a, a space on your floor to sleep, you'd to kind of um, lock all your doors and windows or something <laughs> in, in the fall, It's, it's it is just what's normal, is, is to, to offer hospitality. So um, usually I stayed in villages and then I was carrying a sleeping bag um, and then just a foil bivvy bag and so i had probably i don't know, i can't remember now maybe 5 or 6 wild bivvies during the the whole journey um but some of those were pretty high like 4800 meters in, in dolpo um so pretty cold um yeah so that was during the ght itself but now when i've been exploring these sections more um yeah i've i've been out for Kind of six or seven days and not actually seen anybody. So then carrying, um, it, winter time, simply carried a heavy sleeping bag and slept out. I didn't carry a mat or, um, or a tent or anything. Um, and then other times I've gone with a light sleeping bag and a, a kind of bivy tent. So.
1: Are you working with the, the Nepalese government to make get the route kind of recognised as like an official route, like we're kind of talking about the, um the Kumbi Trail and all the different other trails, what already kind of recognised?
3: Well, Ro- Robin Boosted um, did a lot of work in the beginning to um, so uh, who's it recognised by? Oh, yeah. I don't know the, the Nepal Tourism Board maybe and. Um, that there's a map of the trail, mm-hmm. um, but a- actually on the ground there there is no trail. So it's you know it's not like um, the John Muir Trail in the US or something, which is a, a way a signposted trail. You know this this is just a concept more than anything else, and it's a living, breathing country that's developing. So things are changing all the time. You know roads are coming in from the south and. Um, Things are changing up on the high, high levels as well with climate change and things like that. So the the whole country is continually in flux. Um, but it would be nice. Um, it would be nice to kind of have this more alpine route as a recognised route um, to give an alternative to the one that crosses the glaciated regions, um, because the lower trail that Robin suggested, you know, over a decade, well over a decade ago now. Um, much of that has turned into jeep tracks, so it's it's not um, really the the same concept. So, yeah, it w- it would be great eventually to to um, kind of map out this this Alpine route.
1: Brilliant, excellent, fantastic! Oh, oh wow! wow. <sighs> Brilliant. So, and so you're still locked down in Switzerland. Don't know how long for. And are you just out exploring lots of skiing at the moment? Yeah, want... at the moment,
3: just waiting to see. Um, well, I've got my skis and my skins, so alternate between between that and um, also just running on the, on the trails here. But not, yeah, not going so far a field as usually I do when there's no snow. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're lucky to be in the nature here. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much
3: yeah, for joining you us. You so much You're this welcome
1: this evening, and uh, hopefully, very soon for kind you, and
3: of. Uh, thank you to everybody that's listening as well, um, just for being here tonight. And um, yeah, just take care there in the UK and um, keep patient, I guess. We just have to wait this out. Yeah. So look after yourselves.
1: Indeed. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And if anybody wants to find out more about. I'm Montrose head over to the website. I think we put the link down below, um and we'll share a bit yeah. more about the and link as well. I'm
2: definitely That's inspired great.
1: by okay. that. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. Brilliant! Well, yeah. thank you, everybody else, who's joined us this evening, and we'll be seeing you again next Wednesday. Stay, stay, folks, and we'll see you soon. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30 PM UK time on Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes.